Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. Tonight, we're going to go back to Norway. Uh, we're going to talk about, I guess we can call them a duo, a band called Flurity. Uh, they arrived on the landscape in the early 90s, as a lot of the other Norwegian metal bands did at the time, to do their interesting and unusual deeds. From the outset, Flurity defined a strange and outsider black metal weirdness, which is why we'll put them up there with bands like Vedwen Zende and Beyond Dawn when we're talking about Norweird pioneers. Do you agree with that, Hunter? I do. I would, um, I'd probably add Monus to that list too. Ah, you do have to throw Monus in there. Although Monus were very pure black metal at the time. Like, yeah, but those early demos have kind of an uncanny quality to them. For sure. And these two guys uh, in Flurity go by their, we'll assume birth names, uh, of Zvein Egil Hatlevik and Alexander Nordgarin. Flurity is an odd name. And you know a little bit about it, Hunter. Why don't you give us a little background on that one? So yeah, Flurity is um, actually the name of a demon. Um, it was first mentioned in the Grimoireum Verum, which was a French grimoire, um, which is a, a, a book that is meant to summon spirits and demons from uh, 1817. And then mentioned in the Grand Grimoire uh, in 1821 again. Uh, Flurity is subject to Beelzebub and apparently controls the weather. Um, he's able to summon hailstorms at will. Um, and he is a, a lieutenant general in the demonic army. That's really interesting. And kind of not surprising that young kids from Norway would choose such a name with, with such a sort of a background uh, in that kind of lore. But it, it's weird because Flirty, they weren't a black metal band for very long. And then they moved pretty far beyond pretty quickly. And I actually thought that I, I always thought that the name referred to a flower. Maybe uh, like a, a flower of evil. You know, I, mean, I figured they were interested in French symbolism and Baudelaire. And that always made more sense to me than when I found out that they were, that Flurity was actually a demon. Yeah, they never had like a, a, an overtly demonic image or anything like that. Um, they did do kind of the corpse paint thing, the posing in the woods really early on in the Black Snow demo, their first recording. But, you know, I don't know, man. I think what we know is Flurity, especially even, even, the first full length, it doesn't really kind of vibe with that whole thing. But, you know, there we are. We have, we have an odd name for an odd band. So it, it works on that level. Uh, when the, the band first started out, the, um, the vocal roles were reversed. Alexander was the singer. Um, Svein um, was responsible for drums and synthesizer. So you will understand when we play a uh, snippet from Profanations Beneath the Bleeding Stars, why Alexander... Uh, was obliged to advocate his role as vocalist and Svein was called to step up. Um, I'm not going to say any more than that. Um, once we hear the track, it'll pretty much explain itself. Um, Svein has a, a, a much more elaborate um, uh, curriculum vita. Uh, Alexander, however, um, did play with Mayhem um, in the late 90s for a bit live, but he was actually tapped to be um, a full member of the band and potentially could have played on Grand Declaration of War. Um, would have been really interesting to hear what he did uh, with that, though, as, as Jeff and I were discussing earlier today. It would be 
nearly impossible to imagine a more perfect performance on that album than what Blasphemer turned in. I do like the idea, though, of Grand Declaration of War being maybe even weirder with Alexander's contribution. It probably would have been, yeah, like maybe less technical, less surgical, and, mm -hmm. and overall weirder. So Yeah, 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 possibly. The universe, uh, yeah. Another fantastic what-if scenario. Yeah. Yeah, Zvine is interesting. As you mentioned, he's got, you know, quite a resume behind him. I have to bring up the impossibly messed up and nearly unlistenable Zweiz, or Zweiz, however you say it, it's Z-W-E-I-N. Yeah, it's That's his project. It's, I guess you can give it a very blanket definition of noise. Yes. Uh, it, it, it's crazy. I don't, I, I've wanted to like it, and I've tried, and I can't. <laughs> <laughs> he was also in this band Strid. I don't know if you know who that is. Um, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, that, yeah. they're yeah, they're a pretty. They're one of those bands, kind of like um, Ild Yarn or Forgotten Woods, that were kind of important. I think maybe locally, but just never caught on internationally. Yeah, well, I mean, Strid also had almost no discography. I think they had a seven, no. maybe one other recording. And their music is pretty confrontational. Yeah, yeah. And then um, Zvine was also part of this wonderful international collective uh, called Self Spiller, who, um, friend of the show, Jason Walton was behind that, uh, members of Psy and many others. Zvine was also in Dottomsgard during the Satanic Art in 666 International period. I'd like to, we got to note that he was known as Mr. Dingy Sweet Talker, Woman Stalker in Dottomsgard at the time, and also on the 666 album as Mr. Magic Logic. Um, Great names. He even guested on Solo Fall and Virus albums. So uh, the guy has all our respect, as, as does Alexander.
Ladies and gentlemen, you have just slipped the bonds of reality and slipped into forty. <laughs> formless. <laughs> We're in it now. We we are committed now. I mean that that is such a great moment on um what that's that, it's not actually from the Black Snow demo, although that song appears on that demo. That's actually a re-recording of one of their very first songs. I just don't we don't have any Black Snow stuff digitized uh, and available to play for you. But that's amazing. It features Runehild on vocals, best known for her screaming in Thor's Hammer. And uh, I can't say enough good things about the performance right there. I can't say a lot about that piece. <laughs> Do you, are you familiar with her I, stuff in Thor's Hammer? Yeah, I, I mean, I was, you know, I, I dabbled in, in O'Malley land um, back in the late 90s and early 2000s. Sure. Um, and I, I actually kind of dug um, Thor's Hammer. Um, I've always liked her voice. I mean, I have to say, yeah. that. I, I'm not maybe the biggest Thor's Hammer fan. Um, well, neither am I, but yeah, no, no, I, I still dug that stuff quite a bit. Um, you you got to love the voice. Back and, then. And, and as we'll hear, and we were talking about Alexander's vocals, you know, the next snippet we're going to play features him. And it's really true to the old flirty way of, of singing, if you sure. can call it singing. That track also features Hellhammer from Mayhem on drums and Necro Butcher from Mayhem on bass. Uh, pretty auspicious lineup there. That was recorded around 2004 or five, put out on a seven inch that came out in 2009, later became part of that Inquietum collection. You, you realize that Black Snow came out in your favorite year ever, right, Hunter? I do. <laughs> that song takes like the most howling and desperate burzum and turns it into something just almost unable to be articulated. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it, it's definitely got that quality. I, I don't think that I, I don't think this was their plan, but they didn't really stick on that sort of thing for very no, long because I think they kind of nailed the vibe, right? I mean, well, how do you yeah, how do you go beyond that? And what else style? are you going to do? Well, they tried. Uh, the Darker Shade of Evil Seven Inch came next, recorded in '93, came out in '94 on Aesthetic Death Records, and we're going to listen to a song called Profanations Beneath the Bleeding Stars. The vocals on this song are pretty much without peer um, in any genre. I, they have been described online, I read, as a pissed-off eagle. Um, yeah. So I'm not entirely sure that even does it justice. Um, <laughs> there's really nothing more extreme, more indescribable in, in the black metal canon vocal-wise. I think, you know, uh, like the vocals on um, Bethlehem's Dictius Te Nicare, um, by Landersmann, uh, or the vocals on Silencer's Death Pierce Me, basically shudder um, at the sound of the vocals on the next song that we're about to play, Profanations uh, Beneath the Bleeding Stars. Yeah, I mean, I think black metal vocals and death metal vocals both kind of like attempt to do this sort of inhuman thing, you know, kind of get outside of, of humanity, period, right. and, and be something different. And to me, they often don't, uh, convince the way they should, but I think this is one of those examples where it really—it's so absurd almost that you have to laugh at how just completely bizarre and <laughs> out of out of like any realistic expectation they really are. Um, yeah. I remember before I actually heard Fluidity, uh, this seven-inch was kind of how they gained a lot of notoriety in the underground simply because of the vocals. You know, nobody's ever said anything about the music or, or anything about them. Uh, it was Which is pretty extraordinary, really. Yeah, no, it was always about the vocals. And, you know, when I finally heard it, I thought, yeah, I can, I can completely. <laughs> yeah. So we'll share with you why this happened. Uh, we think it'll be pretty obvious and uh, without any further ado. 
So Hunter, besides the vocals, what do we have there musically? I mean, they're already starting to stretch out. I mean, that's not Immortal, that's not Emperor, that's not... No, no um, and, and we'll kind of hear the evolution as we go forward, but like, I, I like that, um, that first section, the halftime section, after the, the vocal histrionics, um, I mean, I, I hear like some like melancholy, like early 90s indie rock influence. Um, mm. And then it sort of evolves out of that in a, like a tremolo picking style that's more in line with traditional black metal. But then you have the beginnings of that towering guitar solo at the end, yeah. um, which is pretty uncharacteristic of you know, black metal. Well, I, th I think that's, you know, and I think a lot of the black metal guys, even though it may not have infused the early music, you know, they were just traditional heavy metal fans. And I think that's where sure. that's coming from. I think we hear that bleed through a little bit. From there, they went on to kind of create all the material that ended up on the first album, except there was a little promo tape that went around in the, I think in early 95, of a song called Absence. It didn't make the album and it was re-recorded 10 years later as uh, the first song we played was and put on that same seven inch. But we're gonna listen to the first version of it recorded in January, 1995. This is a song called Absence. And this is really surely one of the more sort of phantasmagoric, supremely out there tunes in their catalog. And I think that's saying a lot. It's kind of a wonder it didn't make the album. By the time of the fragment we're gonna play here in a second, uh, we've been through about four minutes of this kind of angular, stapled together moments. Um, it's really disorienting. Yeah, so let's hear how Absence ends. And they're really playing with atmosphere there with that sustained feedback that kind of closes it out. Sure. Yeah, a great deal of, uh, of Flirty's music could be characterized by 
psychedelic atmospheres, psychedelic methods. Um, but I, I think that absence can actually um, be classified almost as like a sort of generic psychedelia. And I, and I mean that in the sense that going back and listening to this again, I heard a lot of like 60s kind of garage punk. It almost sounded like uh, like Beharit plays a Nuggets song. <laughs> even, you know, even the, the, the whispered vocals reminded me as much of you know like question mark and the mysterians as it did as beharit or burzum or something sure um, you know and the one thing that both of those seemingly disparate sort of like acts or bands or artists sort of have in common is not so much being about song as it is about texture sure sure oh yeah and, and like you said they're really like playing with texture in that song like those chiming scraping harmonics and feedback yeah no it's um I would agree with you um, that even in, in the world of fluidity, that's pretty much at the, the deep end of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think especially where they were at and where the rest of black metal was at in 95. Um, this is the year of the first Vedwen Zende album. Correct me if I'm wrong with the year, but I think that's right around that time. Um, some of that early Beyond Dawn stuff. First, had, first over record. First over no. record, Yeah. This kind of just opens the way, paves the way for their very first album, Mid Tid Skull Comma, My Time Shall Come. And this one obviously places them squarely in the mid-90s Norwegian black metal pantheon. I, I think that obviously we'll hear some differences, uh, things that always set Fluidity apart from the pack. Yeah, this was a, a really important record for me because as Jeff said, um, it it does sort of squarely fit into the context of black metal in 95 because at that point um experimentation had become more accepted um it like said you know bedwin zende um put out their first record that year um you had over and and it wasn't sort of a hidebound homage to bathory and hellhammer at that point um these were bands that were kind of looking beyond the the constraints of metal in general, listening to a lot of different music, finding ways to synthesize classical music with punk, with late 80s metal, psychedelia, electronic, all these things um, were kind of finding a place within the framework of this music. And this album uh, is still very much a singular piece. Um, it's, it's very atmospheric. It's largely mid-paced. The guitar playing is very inventive. I, I think, too, that often um, goes undermentioned, at least, is the very lyrical bass playing on this album. Mm, yeah. um, and also, the, the, the drumming um, has a, a sensitivity and a jazziness to it in a lot of places that you, you don't find in, in black metal at all. Very much. I always figured this was a kind of a rockier, looser version of the kind of the typical Norwegian black metal. Also to add to all of that, that you mentioned is the introduction of female vocals. Right. Um, this would become a thing that they would use from time to time in all their future music as well. You see it pop up quite often. And effectively, I would say it never felt like oh. a novelty to me. Oh, um, never. No, no, never. I think a lot of mid-90s um, European metal bands felt the need to add, you know, violin or female vocals or some other sort of novel element. And to me, this just um, seems like a, kind of a natural expansion of their sound. For sure. Yeah, we're, we're going to listen to a little segment of Fragmenter Avon Fortid, a little fragment. 
And this actually translates to fragments of a past. It's the first song in the album. I mean, how many ideas they just worked through in the course of those two and a half minutes? And kind of patiently, too. I think this thing unfolds slowly. It's never in a hurry to get all the ideas out. It's got that earthy production and organic. Yeah, and it's, um, it's very moving, too. Let's listen to another one. I think it'll kind of prove that point even more. This is uh, the fourth song, I Won't Bother with the Norwegian. Translation is Angels, Arrows Have No Sting.
that's another, and it should be said too, these are not comprehensive representations of the songs on these, on this album. Um, the songs are quite long, both of the ones that we played yeah. um, are, yeah. are much larger pieces. I would like to say two things about that song though. The part, I guess around, I don't know, second five or six, when it kicks in with the vocals, and I never noticed this until we were assembling the show, but almost seems to anticipate uh, the modern enslaved sound, like the post below the light sound. Oh, nice. Uh, where where uh, enslaved start to introduce more major key melodies. Even the, the, the rhythm itself, the guitar rhythm, reminds me of something that Ivar uh, would write nowadays or you know, would have over the past decade or so. I think too that like this song sort of speaks to this this psychedelic continuum that we've we've talked about that over the last couple of clips moving from the late sixties um, near the end of this clip um, I was reminded of of British bands um, like Chameleons UK and Sound and Echo and the Bunnymen um, and and how the sort of psychedelic spore is just spread over the decades and it. You know, it, it's psychedelia is not, it, it was a genre to begin with, but it, it's really more of an impulse and uh, an atmosphere. Um, Leave it to you to bring up those bands in, in a conversation about fluidity. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're, you're right. I mean, I, I hear even a little bit of that first Modern English album, Mesh and Lace. Oh, sure. Kind of, ang- like you say, angular, uh, psychedelic, obtuse. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Enslaved. And we talk a lot about, uh, them and other Norwegian bands on this podcast. And we're a little bit obsessed, but you know, it, it's funny how Enslaved keeps coming up. Um, almost not quite as much as Voivod, um, or Fl- <laughs> but they do keep coming up. And I think there's a reason they really have kind of threaded in and out of both the more kind of traditional black metal, obviously the so-called Viking metal and some of the weird progressive Norwegian metal too. I think they really, you know, they're pretty foundational in all of this. Absolutely. Before we move on, I kind of wanted to say that uh, we both love Metal Archives. I'm on that site like almost every day. I'm, I'm, I open it up in the morning. It's like coffee for me. Um, and uh, the well, to, to, to illustrate that further, one night where Jeff had come down to visit me, and we were like, oh, yeah. we were like nearly about to go to bed. And this was probably like I don't know, ten thirty, eleven o'clock at night. I almost forgot. We staying up till probably three just looking up the most absurd band names that we could find. Well, it, that was like the pre YouTube rabbit hole. Basically. It was. Yeah. But <laughs> I was going to say I, with all due respect to metal archives, cause I love them. So I, I'm not going to take a dig at them here, but I am going to say that when you open up the page for any given band, there are, you know, country of origin status, years active, all that great stuff. Um, current label, but they also have lyrical themes, which I think they often miss the mark on, and they're kind of hilarious because it's it's, it's sometimes just really hard to kind of convey what the themes are. It'd almost sure. be like if they had like a musical themes thing, and you had to you know just use three or four words to describe it. Right. But so for the lyrical themes for Fluidity, it's poetry, dark emotions, <laughs> and weirdness. And I'm like, you know, I mean, of course it's weird. I mean, Is weirdness yeah. a theme. Yeah, I just, you know, that's a little bit, a uh, little lazy. But speaking of weirdness, they left the minted Skalkama era and kind of went dormant, seemingly dormant. They've never been dormant since 91 in terms of their active activity. They've always been a thing. They've just chosen to 
record at their own pace sometimes. So they were pretty prolific between 93 and 95. And then it was four years later that they finally came out with the new material, just a uh, EP called Last Minute Lies, came out on the Supernal label out of England. And this is, um, this is one of those EPs where I always so wish it was extended into a full length because it would probably be my favorite Fluidity thing, period. It's, it, as it is, it's just about perfect. It's amazing. I love it. Love I, it. Yeah, I, I partly, I almost want to do a whole show on this EP, but we'll, uh, we'll save doing a whole show on an EP for a future episode. Yes. Um, we're going to play a little bit from a track called I Saw Claws. And uh, you, you can hear, you, you can hear for yourselves. It's not about Christmas. Did it run the roof? Yeah, this is I Saw Claws from the Last Minute Lies EP. Yeah, we regret we can't play the whole Last Minute Lies EP for you, but you know, go ahead, grab it on Discogs. Don't be afraid. Compact discs are still awesome. You can find them on Discogs for between $5 and $10. So, And what Radical Research listener would argue that what they just heard is not worth $5? Yeah. It's extrapolated it, across the entire EP. Take sure, Facets, Vortex, yeah, those two songs as well. You, that break that they get down into the softer moment kind of just struck me just now as love spirals downwards. Oh, just something kidding. about it. Just, it, it really had that, like if that was a whole okay. album, that would be, that would be it. Right. Yep. I was actually kind of thinking four AD, but it really is more projectish than that. And, and here, here's some more fancy rock references for you, Mr. Wagner. <laughs> reminds me of two uh, early to mid nineties, female fronted bands 
uh, one British, one American, um, Curve and Medicine. Uh, okay. Curve, I know a little bit. Medicine, I know the name. Probably know Medicine. Um, Catherine Ludwig was a big medicine champion. Okay. They had an album, um, their debut was called Shot Forth Self-Living, um, came out in 1992. Um, they were also featured on the Crow soundtrack. Crappy movie, um, a lot of good music on that soundtrack. Um, that's yep. probably the closest that they got to a breakthrough. Um, they were a really great band. I enjoyed uh, that first album, also the, the EP that followed it. Um, really inventive guitarist named Brad Laner led that band and went on to record some interesting music in his own right. This show is not about medicine, so let's get back to talking about fluidity. Well, actually, I, we'll talk about fluidity in just a second, listeners, but I, you mentioned something called fancy rock. And uh, people that will remember our 10th episode, Ginkor, uh, will note that I had coined Ginkor for you, Hunter. I've also coined another genre for you years ago. I think that was maybe pre-Ginkor? in terms of the coining? Uh, yeah, no, it, uh, maybe. Yeah, but, but you know, you listen to, I listen to a lot of that stuff, 4AD projects, some of that stuff. You listen to a ton of it. Like you really delved, you really are kind of the expert in my life for that stuff. Like if I need to know about something, I'll just go to you, you know, over Wikipedia or, you know, something. Um, but like, like things like Idlewild started coming up on your playlist like every other time. And I'm like, I started calling it fancy rock for lack of a better word. So... Um, perhaps we'll have a fancy rock show uh, sometime in the future. Maybe. <laughs> Bill, you're the, the reigning king of neologisms here. I don't think I've pointed <laughs> Yeah, uh, you haven't given me any. Man. Man. I'm, I'm behind. Yeah, you haven't, you haven't, you haven't coined a, a genre for me at all. Like, Damn it. Maybe too much kiss or too much Paul Chain, but that's not really <laughs> <genre>. Maybe. <laughs> you, you wouldn't literally, I, you would not believe. Have you pared down the Paul Chain collection at all? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's, like things like that. You, I mean, it was like ridiculous. And I mean, I love Paul Chain at his best, but like, no one needed to own as much Paul Chain as you did. No, but I mean, you know, here's the problem with Paul Chain: is I got turned on through the Alcahest album. I knew of him through Death SS, which I think were pretty much an overrated band. Oh, super overrated. Yeah, um, but the Alcahest album is to me. I just listened to that a few days ago. Actually, it's it's one of my favorite Doom albums of all time. And I think it's his best album still. So when you get turned on to a band and it's like their best album, it, you know, and you delve hard and you, you don't find anything quite as good, you end up kind of shedding a lot of stuff over the years, I think. Um, but I had to do I that with Paul Chase. Solitary Man, um, Seven Inches. Oh, dude, that yeah. stuff is amazing. Park of Reason album. That's, well, yeah, oh, I mean, Park of Reason. I even like White and Sepulchre. I know that gets a little hazy. No, um, I like that. I like yeah. White and Sepulchres a lot. I, I like um, Life and Death. Uh, there, there's a lot of good stuff there. Um, but I, I didn't need the, the double albums of improv keyboards. You know what I mean? Like, that's all it is. It's like, no. thanks. he's not good at that. And I, I'll just dump that stuff forever. Life's too short, you know? It, God, it really God bless Paul Jane. Um, <laughs> anyway, back to Flirty, folks. Um, so that was Last Minute Lies. They followed up with their second album called Department of Apocalyptic Affairs. And if you thought Grand Declaration was weird in 2000, <laughs> this one, this one really, I mean, this one is just so crazy. Yeah, this, this thing is crazy. Like it starts out with this song called Exterminators and it's got this like, it's, it sort of opens with a silly amalgam of jazzy brightness and maybe a little bit of Mr. Bungle influence in there. Um, yeah. And then this song and album turns a bit more serious and dark after that initial introduction, but it just never stops being eccentric. It volleys from strange idea to strange idea to strange idea it's probably not their best written album i've never been able to 
really get behind this record. It's got yeah. some extraordinary moments on it, um, but it's kind of like Screaming Machines. It's a hard record to love. It's easily their weirdest. In, in Florida land, that's saying something. And, uh, but it, it's nuts. Department is nuts. We're going to check out a few songs and hopefully we'll, we'll do it justice. And I love the song titles. I mean, Face in a Fever, Shotgun Blast, Barbed Wire Smile. These are songs we're going to play for you. I don't know what a Face in a Fever is. but it sound, They sound like Biohazard song titles, you know? Face in a Fever! Shotgun Blast! Barbed Wire Smile! You know, like, you know. Actually, like, shot, Shotgun Blast appears in a, a Machine Head lyric. It's just, it's I don't doubt that it. Freedom ring. But as you will hear, listeners, this is far, far, far from Machine Head. Thank you. Yes. Our, our friend uh, Einar Sirso from Beyond Dawn, by the way, plays drums on Face in a Fever. things going on in one minute of music um the, the beginning is pretty arresting um compared to the earlier fluidity that we talked about um one of the obvious differences is in the vocals I mean, it's, it's a much more stripped down almost sort of aggro sound i was reminded of the kind of the the vocal evolution in disharmonic orchestra from not to be undimensional conscious to um, the, the more, uh, the drier, more barked out vocals on Pleasure Dome. But listening to it now, it's kind of reminded of the vocals on uh, Ice and Botter 3. But those are more, um, more oppressively Germanic, I would say. Well, yeah, of course, because they are German. But I, I, think, this, yeah. I think this definitely captures that vibe for sure. Right. And, and, but then, like, we have this abrupt shift into this kind of uh, atmospheric part. Um, great drumming from Einar, and then it all almost starts to become carnivalesque near the end of that, um, where we fade out. Yeah, yeah. I got to tell you, he, this is not point counterpoint because I know that I think you make a good point comparing it to carbonized screaming machines. But I, I really do like this album more than that for sure. I, I, I still, I, I, I guess I misspoke. I, I don't. I, I will say I do not love this album. I do love it more than Screaming Machines. <laughs> and I think we both absolutely love the intent. I mean, any, anything sure. like this from a band that had done the stuff we'd heard previously. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's all, it's welcome in our house for, I just don't feel like it ever coheres entirely. I, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. I would agree with that. It's, it's, a, it's, it, it's an album of moments and parts rather than songs, you know, right. and flow. Right. It's got none of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's, it's also got notable guests. I mean, this is a who's who of Norweird metal right here. Um, we have 
Carl August Tideman of uh, Arcturus and Winds uh, playing some guitar on this album. We have Hellhammer of Mayhem, again, on drums. Of course, also from Arcturus, another favorite band of ours. Um, Garm and Ilvizikar from Over Appear on this thing. Uh, Maniac from Mayhem. And this was, you know, this was the period right after Alexander left Mayhem, uh, moved to England and, you know, obviously was pretty close with the Mayhem guys. So they all kind of appear on various flirty stuff. Uh, Zverd and Newt Magna Valley of Arcturus also appear on this. So a lot of the Norwegian pantheon appears on this record. What do you say we go into Shotgun Blast? It's, it's hard not to crack a smile, but yes, let's go into Shotgun Blast. <laughs> you don't want to say it like a, like a homeboy? Shotgun Blast! Yeah, fans of Grand Declaration of War, that's kind of a little uh, annex for you uh, because Maniac is very much in that mold right there. I got to say, man, Maniac does a damn good Nick Cave too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Nick Cave's Australian, but I was like sitting there thinking like, you know, is, is, is he part English? Because it, it, he pulls it off, you know. Yeah, I was getting some kind of like birthday party vibes off of that too. He must be a fan. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, and and that, no in that era, I mean, he was, he was doing that sort of thing all over Grand Declaration and never really revisited oh, yeah, yeah. to that degree. I know it's, that's his, his most uh, expressive vocal performance ever. Yeah. Really, yeah, theatrical. So they had a really interesting cover art scheme on this album. Um, you could choose your own cover, basically. The book, it allows you to select a favorite. Um, in three of the four schemes, a grenade is the centerpiece. 
one panel it's paired with a stuffed animal i think a rabbit one panel is paired with a skull for you know the hardcore metalheads who uh, just can't big live skull. without the skull big dumb skull yeah one where the body of the grenade is a lemon instead that's my favorite uh and then a fourth which is some just strange old-timey engine or machine of some kind that's a lot more fun than if you were streaming the album right Yes. And guess I mean, what? You can't get this album on Spotify. So if you try on YouTube, you'll be banished to a sad purgatory just for even trying. So go ahead and get it on Discogs. And uh, maybe someday Discogs will sponsor us because they rule. They do. And we, we mention them often. We do. And uh, do the right things, Discogs. If you go ahead and uh, buy this album on Discogs, you'll also hear Barbed Wire Smile. We're going to listen to that presently. the question like how many bands were able to actually escape the portis head bug back in the late 90s and, and early 2000s not um, many and certainly we've mentioned that in context of bands we'd covered from that era yeah no i mean they it was almost a viral sort of influence i mean i did say a lot of that bristol scene the tricky and massive attack just had broad appeal across a really really wide spread of genres um, there's some maniacal chatter in the background that reminds you that you're still listening to Fluidity. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, and, and another reason that you need to buy this album on a compact disc um, is because you need to be able to listen to that bass line on uh, actual system. And not mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm, a really, I'm a really big fan of that sort of um, mutated dub sound in the mid-90s. Um, Kevin Martin from Ice and The Bug um, and God released two um, sort of epical compilations um, on Virgin back in 95 and 97 called the Macro Dub Infection uh, Comp. Yep. Yep. Yeah, if you, if you have any interest in um, uh, imaginative uh, electronic music, I would, I would say go post-haste to Discogs and purchase them. <laughs> Discogs.com. Scratch that itch. So then they, then they had a long gap in output. This was probably the biggest sort of uh, drought that they'd ever had in terms of releasing material. Uh, they remained active. They recorded at a leisurely pace. 
But they didn't let any of that out until 2009. And it came as the first in a series of four seven inches. Ultimately, that was all collected in this Inquietum collection, which I, I always kind of consider their third full length. Right. Um, but it was just simply conceived and recorded over a long span of about 14 years. Yeah, it's kind of like um, the, the Minus the Bear um, Lost Loves album. Right. Which, which, it's like a compilation, but it's, it's, ba- it's basically an album. It works as an album, yeah. I mean, it, it really does. So um, in 2009, they released an MP called Ingentis Atques Decorii um, Vexilifieri Apocalypsis. Um, it's a, basically uh, re-recordings of older songs. Which uh, um, translates, sorry, translates to powerful and proper standard bearers of the apocalypse. It's been a very good title in English, too. Can I, well, I want to mention here right, right now, um, your pronunciations are because you took a couple years of Latin. I never actually took Latin, unfortunately. The translations, I'm sure we could have found them by some Google thing, but I wanted to go to a, a real source. And that, that source is a really good friend of mine named Chris Ayers. He's a high school Latin teacher, has been as long as I've known him since the mid-90s. Also a big metal fan, uh, listens to this show. He did a podcast uh, several years ago. He's written for the Road Food website. Chris Ayers is a fantastic guy. Thank you, Chris, for um, your interest in helping us with these uh, translations. The next thing that they recorded, um, or released at least, um, came out in 2011, another seven-inch, Evaco Bestias. And right now we're going to play a track off of that called Summon the Beasts. So that's, in terms of its sound, definitely hearkening back um, to a more chaotic, more um, sort of black metal vernacular. Obviously, it's not black metal. I, it's almost like sort of like a black metal chassis with Diamandagalis um, caterwauling over the top of it. Um, true, true. But it, yeah, that just the, the, the way the guitar is kind of like kind of cranked out. Uh, I think the pacing of it, I think yeah. the abrasion, the, a lot of things about it are similar to black metal, similar to the black metal they used to play and similar to a lot sure. of the, the other countrymen. But, you know, being Flirty, especially at this point, they're obviously introducing a lot of different things into it as well. Of course. Yeah. But I, I do think it's really interesting how it kind of ties back to their, you know, their origin. For sure. And they wouldn't know, at, at this point, it seemed like they just 
pedal a little bit backwards. I don't mean to mean, mean that in any pejorative sense, but pedaled backwards a little bit toward their root. You know what I mean? And one thing, here's yep. something about Fluidity that's interesting. They were never really genre hoppers or masters of those genres the way like Ulver were. Right. Um, they never settled on one thing either, but they, but they never left metal. Probably be mentioned that each one of these seven inches was released um, in editions of 666 copies. Um, so it tells you that their, their mind is still maybe a little vector toward the left-hand path. Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. And interestingly, also with these seven inches, uh, they were all released on Aesthetic Death, uh, like their first album was, like the Darker Shade of Evil seven inch was, which is interesting because that's a label that's not necessarily prolific. They're English, uh, but they sure seem to support fluidity. So God bless them or dog bless them. Right. So the next track we're going to play um, is something called Degenerate Machine. Um, it is from a 2013 EP called Et Spiritus Meus Simper sub sanguinantibus stellus habitabit yeah and i i probably butchered that a bit and i'm i'm open to criticism but i did my best yeah it's not necessarily a spoken language is it no it's not <laughs> uh it, it translates to my soul will dwell beneath the stars and our translator chris ayers had a great thing to say about this Again, I'll repeat the translation first. My soul will dwell beneath the bleeding stars. And then Chris says, don't share this with Thomas Lindbergh. It will be the title of the next At The Gates album. <laughs> <laughs> Dead on, Chris. So yeah, so from that seven inch, recorded around 2009, 2010, this is Degenerate Machine. Arcturus, particularly the first full-length Aspera hymn Symphonia, uh, you'll surely recognize the guitarist here, right? Carl August Tiedemann. Yeah, man. <laughs> Nobody sweeps quite like Tiedemann. No, no. Streets. And, and it's it's kind of sad because like his, I guess his uh, most prominent vehicle was Winds, a band that I could never, I, that I always kind of, I, I enjoyed the first album and I could never really totally get behind them. Just kind of like bored me after a while. 
I understand that. You know, um, great lineup. Andy Winters, a, a sweet, sweet guy. I actually ate really good cheese with that guy in um, British Columbia once. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Cool. You know, I said it does. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But Carl August, man, he's he's great. Um, did you ever hear his band Tritonus? Tritonus? No. I, I think they'd released an album, and I for some reason that is, boy, that's. We're looking bad as supposed uh, Norwegian files here. He probably shouldn't have admitted that. Yeah, especially because it's him. And he, you know, he's a great guitarist, obviously really adept at the sweeping and that just melodic finery, that, that beautiful, just sort of, God, how do you describe his stuff? It's, it's just beautiful, really. But what, I, what I love about um, Degenerate Machine is how after his solo, it completely dispenses with the majesty. And <laughs> like, just like trawl through the septic back alley. You know? it's like, okay, we're done with this. Well, I think it's always interesting to hear them in this context, like, whether it's like that early Arcturus, which it fits more because that's, that's more of the classic, neoclassical right. sort of vibe. But um, yeah, he always brings something um, a little bit out of context, actually, to, to the, the music he plays on. Um, I think he fit more in wins. Uh, Flurity, he's just a yeah, he's just a sort of great relief to the sort of basement dwelling thing that they are so good at. Sure. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm curious about Tritonus. I uh, wonder what that band is all about. Our buddy Einar from uh, Beyond Dawn. We're not buddies. We don't hang out every day, but he's he's a good guy. He's on drums on that song as well. Yeah, you can tell the drumming is very confident. Yeah, no, he's he's underrated for sure. Um, the other song in the seven inch is called "It's When You're Cold," and this thing is harsher and noisier than the Fluidy Norm, um, and it it has that little bit of Zweiss bias coming into things. That just weird noise, unapproachable sort of thing. And then we jump to the next seven inch, which has, which we're going to play a little bit of a song called "Consensus," uh, and this is kind of a beautiful thing. When they ended up on the CD together, it's when you're cold and consensus were kind of together and they were both like probably the noisiest fluidity that we've ever heard. Um, at least in the kind of harsh sort of, they don't reach the level of like power violence, but I think you get what, what I'm saying. Right. Do you want to, do you want to attempt the, uh, the title for, for this, uh, the seven inch? Let's just call it Fragmenta. <laughs> and we're back to fragments because as you remember, their first album began with a song, um, fragments of the past it basically translates to fragments of any contemporary age you please or remnants of any contemporary age uh there's some really endearing dialogue at the beginning of this um it just i think it's a conversation between the two main guys in fluidity and they're settling on playing quote some regular black metal unquote we're going to check out actually two different moments from this song zvine apparently plays ukulele on this so see if you hear that and also see if you hear anything remotely resembling music Consensus. And then some, uh, just some uh, regular... Uh... Black metal? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
It's a jaunty little tune. (laughs) (laughs) Jolly. The note that I had written down was black metal is played by Alec Empire. He fronted a band. Fronted. He was the linchpin of this band in the late nineties called Atari Teenage Riot. Ah, yep. Yep. But anyway, he was, he's a German electronic musician, um, coined, I don't know if he coined the phrase, but he was a proponent of something called digital hardcore, but um, dabbled in a number of different electronic genres, all of which were about as confrontational and and genocidal as possible. Um, And I would imagine that Florida is kind of tapping into that energy on this. Well, I mean, almost like it does. It like it, it flirts with rhythm at times, but then it like completely dissolves that too. Just I mean, I, you know, Zvine's uh, Swise project is um, just just about as confrontational as as that. The other song on that seven inch, the the final one they put out in this series before they released it as a collection in Quietum, was Carnal Nations, and that sort of evokes what we can sort of call the old Fluidity, that that blurry, emotive, grandiose power of the early days. Very cool hypnotic six minutes, no vocals, kind of a perfect conclusion to the whole seven-inch project of the 2000s. So with the seven-inch period, they, they had taken their time recording all this stuff and released the compilation or the third album, as we'll call it. Uh, they answered pretty quickly with their next full-length album, The White Death. The first thing I really want to say about the White Death is aficionados of Norwegian weird metal will recognize a voice in this album that isn't really necessarily familiar from past Florida. And we get some vocals from Carl Michael Ida here. Also known for his work in Vedwen Zende, he provided the clean vocals on Written in Waters, which they're totally unmistakable. So are his vocals in Virus. Unmistakable. Iconic. Yeah. Do you know he was a member of really super early Ulver? I did know that actually. Yeah, add that add that to his amazing resume, right? Shit. Yeah. yeah. But it makes perfect sense. He was also in uh Dottom's Guard for the six 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 international period, so uh he and Zvine have that in common. Uh also known for his major role in more traditionally minded bands like Or Noir and Inferno. Just want to mention him because he's kind <laughs> of a major, major player in the whole post black metal Norwegian weirdness thing. But I love his persona in Inferno. Script. Which is so like is so reactionary and and, and so like purist. Yeah. Oh yeah. Lot, lot, lots of middle posturing. fingers and beer and so. Oh yeah. It was just posturing, but I, I always love that. It's like, man, you're like a beacon of experimentation and futurism. And, <laughs> you know, here you are, like, you know, championing you know early destruction over everything else. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, Einar from Beyond Dawn also when he was kind of messing with this sort of like you know, fancy rock beyond Dawn, the late, the late nineties stuff, early two thousands, he was in Inferno along right. with Carl Michael. And I think uh, they were both getting something out that was kind of the polar opposite of the bands that they were pretty much known for at the time. So that's very cool. But yeah, white death is, is cool. It's not as bizarre as their other two thousands material. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. But it's still plenty weird. And I, th- I think that the interesting thing about this album is the span of textures. It's, it's very admirable. Um, they do a lot of different things. Let's listen to two very snippets from this album that might help illustrate that. Let's do The Science of Normality and then Future Day.
Uh, who are we fooling? That's still pretty weird. <laughs> and so now, I'm really glad that you mentioned that Wednesday day um, because um, when I was thinking about the song, like it, it's all like the beginning of it's this sort of weird mutated avant rock. And I, I wrote down that it reminded me of Rodan and Slint via Bedwin's End Day. Sure. Um, I mean, all those fractured chords and, you know, sort yeah. of. Yeah. And you get these, like, like the, what, what begins is kind of a loping, awkward rhythm that basically turns arrhythmic. Um, but, too, you know, I always feel like bands are who they are. And there's this tense relationship in this, the, the snippet that we played. Um, between beauty and dissonance that yep. harkens back to um, mid-tilled skull coma. Sure. You know? It's yeah. like, despite the obvious differences in the sound and the, the effects of their evolution, like they're obviously still blurry. Yeah, I think that's kind of the point I was making earlier too, in a sense that, you know, they're not an over because we love Bergtot, we love assassination, but those sound that you could you couldn't hardly draw a parallel between those those no. albums and say oh that yeah obviously that's the same band that you know you can tell that the evolution is a very similar arc or a, a very comparable arc you know from from album one to album you know ten or eleven or whatever it is you know that that's over and that's great but Fluidy always kind of remained Fluidy in the sense that you know they always had that first album in them that root was still always there right. Yeah, that's kind of Dead Can Dance before world music, right? It, it honestly reminded me of some of the more restrained uh, moments on uh, Comus's first utterance. Oh, oh, that's good. I can see that too, definitely. But yeah, I hear the Dead Can Dance too, yeah. So that's fluidity, man. I mean, sometimes unfathomable, sometimes unstable, always provocative.
Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Jeff Wagner, and my co-host, Hunter Ginn, we really, really, really appreciate your support, your feedback, and uh, everything else you give us. We're very, very content knowing there are other weirdos out there like us. Please join us next time for episode 20, Wolf's Lair Abyss answer and announcement. That great 25-minute caustic flurry, controversial simply because they existed at all. Much more in two weeks. freaks and welcome to radical research that's all i got planned